Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favour to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Welcome to The Call. This is the program that covers 10 companies in detail picked by you with two of our expert guests all over the course of 60 minutes. It's Wednesday, the 7th of April. I'm Nadine Blaney. Great to have you along with us. My expert guests today joining us in studio is Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Welcome to the program again, Henry. Good to see you there. Nice to see you. And Andrew Veitland from DP Wealth Advisory up in Toowoomba, fresh off the Easter weekend. How are you feeling as we head further into this, again, shortened trading week, Andrew? Uh, Nadine and Henry, uh, no Easter eggs for me. I'm uh, all pumped up, ready to go, but uh, not on that sugar high either. So uh, we'll see how we go. We'll see if we can get through the next 58 minutes. We we'll will We will get through it. I'll, I'll make sure we get through it. Okay, let's get to our stock of the day. Dive right into Fluence. It recently secured big volume deals from the Three Gorges Corporation in China, also with the Beijing China Railway Science New Technology Company. Now those deals are worth only about 5 million US dollars combined, but the company says it gives it an entry point into the world's biggest industrials market. We spoke with Richard Irving a short time ago. He's Fluence's new CEO. Let's take a listen to some of what he had to say. In China, there's a real need to increase, in particular, the amount of rural wastewater treatment that is being done. And MABR is a perfect fit. It is the lowest cost, even in that very competitive market, the lowest cost solution for high standard uh, wastewater treatment. We would anticipate that over the next few years, there are the need for, for several tens of thousands of new wastewater treatment plants in China which we of course hope many will be based on our technology. And partners are critical. We can't of course ourselves run around selling each individual plant. We need to work with partners and we've formed many partnerships at the provincial level, but this announcement with Three Gorges is the first at the national level. They're very active across the country and in fact, even internationally. So this is a very, very exciting announcement for us. So that is the CEO's take on these announcements being done in China in particular, and also in the Asian region in drought-stricken Taiwan. It sold one of its units there. But guys, if we put the share price performance into context, it doesn't look too bad in one year. 
over the past five years, though, pretty dismal. Uh, Andrew, I'll start with you. It's decentralized water, wastewater, and treatment markets. I mean, it all sounds like something that is very much needed, but is it a difficult area to actually make money in? Is that a leading, quitness, a leading question? I think that's um, what they called it in J school. <laughs> uh, yes, I'd be sure to answer that is yes. Uh, but I was just having a quick look at the one broker who follows it, and they have a consensus target price of 45 cents. And where are we at the moment? 25, but little chart just had us at before. The broker, they've got uh, it trading on a PE of 19 in uh, 2023 and 400% earnings growth. So if you sort of just sort of believe those numbers, then you'd be uh, all over this like calamine lotion. But uh, there's a, a few things to sort of get through. So I, I'd be watching this with interest, but I can't bring myself to uh, buy it at the moment because as you quite rightly point out, Nadine, that chart looks uh, very, very ordinary. And in fact, the share price performance over the last five years down about 9% per annum relative to the index, which over the same time is up about 11% per annum. We missed a little bit of what you had to say there, Andrew, but we got the gist of it at the end. It is not a buy for you, though. One to watch. Just paraphrase why it's one to watch. Uh, infrastructure, uh, Ivory Coast and the back orders from the Ivory Coast. And if they can hit the, uh, the financial targets that the analyst who follows them, it's a PE of 19 and 400% uh, earnings growth. So certainly... Uh, quite rosy if it can make it, but there's a number of hurdles to get through to get to that point. So it's a watch. It's a hold. Thank you, Andrew. Okay, uh, Henry, when it comes to getting a leg into the Chinese markets, yep. I mean, it's done that now. Yes, it has. Um, my problem with Fluence, and it's not their problem, it's my problem, I guess, is the whole Foslock debacle. PET was the code. That there. is in rear window AFR today. It is. It's isn't one it? that we've talked about before, yes. and it has essentially been found by auditors to have forged fraud. <laughs> you know, it's very difficult in chi in to track what's happening yep. in China, even yep. if you've got people on your team there. That is my problem with Fluence, and it, it did ride at the coattails of Foslot. Foslot went from about fourteen cents to over a dollar at one stage before it crashed down. And, and has been suspended. And Fluence was riding pretty high for a while on the back of this. But um, it, it's a different business, obviously. But going into China, there'd be dragons. I mean, here be dragons. It's uncharted territory to some extent. And I just, it has been tarred with that Foslock brush. And that's probably why the stock price has been so uh, muted, I think is the nice way of putting it, over the last year or so. Um, not really for me as yet, but this is a good first step for them into China with that Three Gorges deal. But um, it'd be nice to see a follow-up deal and maybe another one or two. So not, not as yet, it could creep higher. Uh, it's only $156 million market cap, so it could creep higher. But I think for me, the whole Foslock thing and the issues with the opaqueness of doing business in China, uh, I do struggle with that. And then you've got the Ivory Coast. I mean, I've never been to the Ivory Coast, but I should imagine that doing business there is relatively tricky as well. So um, interesting areas where they're going into. So not for me, I have to say at the moment. Let's get to some of the companies that have been uh, handed in to us by you, our viewers, our listeners. This one is coming to us from Robert. And it's a company that, yes, sells into China, but one that we know very well, and it's BHP Group. Henry, I'll start with you. 
generated a total return of more than 100% over the past 12 months, mainly off the back of the strong iron ore price, but are risks to the iron ore price building uh, with Brazilian supply coming online? Um, yeah, I saw that. Brazilian supply was up around 34% in March, um, and clearly that is a risk. The market doesn't seem to be too concerned with it at the moment. We're still 170 odd bucks US a tonne for iron ore. BHP is very much a copper iron ore story at the moment. Um, oil as well, obviously, but um, it's, it's definitely a hold. You can't ignore the big Australian. It's an it's a absolute behemoth in the, in the mining world. Um, and they've been very generous with dividends. Mike Henry, of course, now at the helm there. So he's um, steady as she goes. There's nothing wrong with this company. It's a great return in terms of dividends. They're sweating the assets. They haven't done what resource stocks tend to do in these super cycles. But if you look at that chart, it's up 79% over the past year. Why would I buy now? Should I be buying today? Um, well, that's why it's a hold rather than a, a screaming buy, I guess. Uh, it just depends, I suspect, on your outlook for iron ore and copper. And uh, Andrew, to that point, it's not just iron ore, it's copper, but it's also coal, it's also oil. There is uh, some thinking that they could look to fully divest the oil part of the business, although BHP itself says that the fundamentals around oil remain strong. So if you're an investor, why would you be getting into BHP at this time? Great question. Why would you be getting into BHP at this time? Um, so, no, the, the short answer is I think I'm with Henry. It's a hold. Uh, consensus is around $46. We're currently at about $45. Um, the, the big thing for me is that iron ore price at, uh, sorry, the, the revenue they generate from iron ore, uh, they generate that $30 billion worth of revenue from iron ore. They make $21 billion worth of profit, and it's a substantial part of their business. So any pressure on that iron ore price is basically going to see their uh, share price come under pressure as well. So uh, from my point of view, it's certainly a hold at these levels. Um, it can't be a, a call without the, at least mentioning at least one ETF. And uh, I would be suggesting, thank you, Henry, I would be suggesting that uh, if you really do like BHP, but you're a bit unsure, you might look at one called QRE, which is about one third BHP. Uh, and it's a, uh, a beta shares one that tracks uh, resources. Or if you're looking for a more diversified approach, maybe uh, MVR from uh, VanEck, and it is sort of uh, BHP, Rio, Fortescue, and a number of other companies in there as well. So certainly BHP as itself standalone is a hold, but maybe a diversified ETF might be a better way of playing it. At this time. Okay, guys, that's BHP Group for Robert. I don't think we need to spend too much more time there, but just a final question. I mean, um, Andrew's given us QRE and NVR. As an investor, M do you, sorry? MVR. MVR. Got it. Okay. As an investor, Henry, in Australia, is it almost yeah. un-Australian to not have BHP or Rio Tinto in a portfolio? I mean, you do need some exposure to that iron ore story. Oh, you do. I mean, without question, you need some exposure to the global commodity story. You need some exposure to electric vehicles to some extent as well, and you're gonna get that through copper. You're gonna get that through the global growth story with BHP as well. We've just seen the IMF upgrade global growth uh, since January, that's, so it's not that long ago that we had the last upgrade. So yes, BHP definitely on the shopping list, un-Australian not to own BHP. Not to say you should be piling in at these kind mm -hmm. of prices, but if you've got it, hold it, and look for weakness to uh, add to it if there is any. Great. 
Let's get to our next company. This is an interesting one. I've actually already talked about it today. It's 88 Energy. 88E is the ticker code for Jim. Hello, Jim. Thanks for sending the question in. 88 Energy was down 60 plus percent just yesterday after an update related to one of its projects that had been showing a lot of promise and had generated a lot of excitement uh, the previous month. This is a project in Alaska. That enthusiasm over that project had seen the share price of 88 energy rise in march by 700 percent now andrew i had a conversation with john winters who's the ceo of superhero one of the most traded companies on the platform but he also said it's one of the most talked about names on a lot of these facebook trading groups is that a danger sign for you andrew um, it's a shame, Nadine, that we don't have sort of uh, rocket emojis, you know, or something like that, that you could sort of bring up on the screen, uh, because it really is one of these ones whereby it's around that uh, investor sentiment. There's not really a lot of uh, substance with due respect. I mean, I'm not suggesting that they can't find things down the track, but anything that goes up 700% because it's been spoken about in Facebook forums or Reddit or Hot Copper or anything like that, you should really have your amber light flashing. And I'm looking today, we're down another 17, 18% today. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, I note, you know, if I was being positive that the chair and the CEO have been acquiring shares over the last 12 months, so that's always good. But uh, yeah, I would be, uh, certainly if I paid seven cents, what did it get to, seven and a half cents, something like that, uh, the chance of it getting back to seven and a half cents anytime soon is, uh, Highly, highly unlikely. It is a punter's dream, or dare I say it sadly at the moment, a punter's nightmare. Do you feel any differently about this one, Henry? I mean, sometimes these names could be good to get into early in the piece if you yeah. believe the overall story and are aware of the fact that, you know, you could see these wild swings. Um, well, this isn't just a wild swing. This was a social media uh, pylon, really, with the emojis the rocket emojis absolutely everywhere. And there was, I saw some numbers, you know, some people were extrapolating this, this oil find, potential oil find, and it was gonna be bigger than Woodside. I mean, come on guys, I mean, let's Yeah, get, I, let's, I, I read get, that there was some people let's get real in about. photos seeing oh. an oil tanker in the background oh. and extrapolating from that, oh. that there was gonna be. It's just rubbish, absolute rubbish. Mm -hmm. the, the, the mob had 10 cents in oh. their sights and they were all getting really excited about the drilling results. Unfortunately, the drilling results were complicated, to say the least. That's not to say that they won't get a discovery out of this, but they've had problems with the, the wireline logging, they've had problems with the holes, they've had problems, which means they're gonna to have to drill again, which means they're gonna to have to raise potentially more money. It's gonna take longer. And you can see, you know, the stock went from one cent to eight or nine cents and was was destined for 10 cents if you, if you read the, uh, the social mm -hmm. media stuff. What concerned me was that all these people, they look at the, the, this meteoric rise in the stock, they don't look at the market cap. This was a $1.6 billion company when it was you know, eight or nine mm -hmm. cents. I mean, that's for a wildcat drilling company, mm -hmm. that was kind of out there to say the least. So um, it's come crashing back to earth. Whether it sort of regroups remains to be seen. I'm sure that the guys that have been long this and have been putting the rocket emojis up there and all the, uh, the, the wonderful sums um, are not going to let this one go, but it needs to regroup. Um, this is not a buy. Well, it's, if you've got money to chuck away, go down to the, um, 
yeah, why not? I mean, two cents, you know, you can, <laughs> why not? Someone's going to get hold of this one again and give it another big rush, I'm sure. So, you know, if you're an absolute out-and-out -out punter and the 330 at, uh, at Flemington isn't of appeal to you, then ADAE could be the way to go. Sorry, Nadine, can I just sort of yep. just sort of add to that? I think Henry's spot on. You know, I didn't talk about round affilia, the, the lovers of round number. You know, <laughs> the shares are either going to 10 cents or, of course, they're going to a dollar. Why are they going to a dollar? You know, what's the valuation? Oh, they're just going to a dollar. And you will then get the capitulators. And I'm not trying to make light of this, but a lot of this is actually psychology. You'll have the capitulators who will just drop their bundle, you know, paid seven cents, it's falling away. If it can't hold two cents, it falls away. Henry's right. If the capitulators have their moment in the sun and this sort of falls right away and you are looking for sort of the, the race seven at, at Randwick, that's, this is the type of company. But if, if the, uh, the, the thesis of today is around investment, no. But if we're talking about uh, investor psychology and punting, sub two cents, it's probably looking interesting. Well, I'll leave that statement there, sub two cents looking interesting, but I'm not going to call it a buy, guys. I'm not. It's not going in the portfolio because, <laughs> yeah, to your point, we're not giving people punting ideas. It's a worthwhile conversation. But Jim, to answer your question, well, I'll sum it up at the end, but that's not a buy coming from these two gentlemen. Uh, Darler... Dalrymple Bay Terminal. I have difficulty saying that Dalrymple. one. Dalrymple. The ticker code is DBI. This is coming from Liam. Listen, we've had a regulatory decision up in Queensland. They're going to take a light touch framework. Uh, many of the brokers that do cover it, which is actually only two, saying that this could be a, uh, a key catalyst for the company. Over to you, Andrew. Yeah, well, it's a Queensland company, so of course it's it's a goodie to begin with, Nadine. But um, it's it's certainly one in which, as you're saying, the ability for this company now to negotiate uh, contracts individually, similar to what other coal terminals are doing around the country, is a real positive for them. And that's why we've seen a real bounce back in that share price. Of course, remembering it's only been listed since December, two fifty seven was the float price. Uh, fell right away down to about a dollar ninety nine from memory. The company instigated a buyback. I can Henry think of very few companies that within the first three months of their listed life instigating a buyback. Um, and but I haven't bought back too many shares around that sort of two dollar twenty mark. Uh, look, it, it's certainly one, that, and it was sold on the basis that it's got a pretty strong uh, dividend yield. But remembering that ultimately it's a coal port. And so if I bring in ESG into it, and if you look all over the website, they're uh, talking about how sustainable they are. They're using metallurgical coal, which is used for steel. So it's certainly not as uh, bad, if I could use that term, as the burning of coal. So they've got a few sort of headwinds that they're facing. But again, we're talking about investor sentiment. It's going to be pretty hard for them to break through that $2.57 barrier because a lot of people who bought it on the flight have been disappointed by how it's performed. And anywhere near that $2.57, you'd think they're going to be wanting to sell it. So from my point of view, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a no on this one. Henry, what do you think in terms of you know, levels for this company, when it could potentially be a buy, if not why? Um, well, Andrew's right about this one. 257 is going to prove a little bit of a barrier. It's had a, a big push. It's had a corporate presentation. It's sort of out of the doghouse, I guess. But it, as Andrew says, it's pretty rare for a company to list and then do a buyback 
uh, pretty much straight away. That, that is kind of odd. I mean, admittedly, Brookfield was the guys that sold this asset down. So uh, private equity, again, be careful what you buy from private equity. They're not always giving you away a bargain. Um, I'm a no for this one, only because the price has had a bit of a spurt. Back at sort of 220, I suspect uh, it's a lot better value. Um, and there are a few people starting to look at this one. And it is kind of crucial strategic infrastructure in some respects. So it does have its attractions. They've just come out today with um, talking about the distribution in line with prospectus at nine cents, target 60 to 80% payout ratio. So it all looks kind of going along smoothly, but it has had a little bit of a, a pickup and I wouldn't be chasing it at these prices. So I think there's probably better play, plays in the coal sector, to be honest. Well, let's see if we can find a better place to put your money uh, than the companies that were aforementioned. Next DC, a question coming to us from Katrina with a little bit of detail around it. She says, I've been a long-term holder, uh, but I feel like there's still pretty good potential in the company for the long-term, not only with the growth in data storage, but also with the ecosystem of data centers that they've been building and the potential for cross-connects revenue. Just today, Andrew, we've had Goldman Sachs lifting the price target of next DC by 11% to I think $15. In general, the brokers really love this one, uh, but the share price has failed to return to pre-pandemic levels. That seems, it, it seems like a disappointment considering all of this push to the cloud. It does, Nadine. And, you know, it was probably one of the few beneficiaries, if I can use that term, of COVID. Uh, and as you're saying, it sort of had its moment in the sun. Even more surprisingly, back in just December, they went and had that senior bond issue. They were trying to raise around one and a half billion, ended up upsizing the deal to about 1.85 billion. Gives them five years of runway and sort of lower interest. So it is surprising. I, I would put it down to rising bond yields. And as a consequence, the uh, impact that's had on the valuation on a number of REITs, uh, a number of infrastructure companies, uh, and I suspect also on Next DC, as you're saying, the brokers love it. Broker consensus on it on the 14 brokers who follow it, as opposed to Fluence with one. Uh, it's $14 and two. So certainly from that point of view. And I note that its return over the last five years has been 32% per annum uh, relative to the market that's only returned 11. So um, I actually quite like it. I think it's a buy. It's a buy. And that would imply then for Katrina that you would likely hold it. Of course, a lot of it has to do with your own personal circumstances, the makeup of your portfolio. But putting all that aside, if, you're whole, if you've held it for quite some time, would you be holding it still, Andrew? Yeah, well, it depends on how long you've held it. I'm just looking at the chart here back at 2017. You know, you would have had it, thank you, at $3.00. Uh, so, you know, $3 to 11, it hasn't exactly been a dreadful outcome for you. So, and if you look at what's, what's the underlying thematics, uh, the underlying thematics is everything, as you just spoke about going to the cloud. I mean, when I was talking to Koshi about this one last year, one of the big things we were talking about then was around that sort of growth in online gaming. Online gaming is growing by about 37% per annum. Uh, and you're seeing a huge need for data centers just to support that. Never mind uh, us suits that are allegedly sort of doing some work uh, and sort of all the, the cloud-based stuff that's going on there too. So enormous demand for uh, cloud-based storage. Uh, so I'm, I'm very relaxed with uh, the mega trend, if I can use that term, uh, of around uh, cloud storage. And this is certainly one way in which to play it. I like it. Henry, do you like NextDC as much as Andrew does and the brokers do? 
Keeping in mind, it received more business in January, February 2021 than the entire first half combined. So uh, Morgan Stanley says that is an indication that the execution is tracking to plan. Um, I've never been a massive fan of Next DC, I must admit. And I've always had this um, kind of idea that maybe that data centers become commoditized like we have done with mobile data, it just gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And to build these data centers is very expensive and that's a big upfront cost for these guys. They do do it very well. Um, and there is no doubt the thematic of more and more data and gaming and all these other things and 5G is gonna mean the demand for storage increases, but also the supply of storage is also increasing. There's a lot of other players coming into the market. You've got the big, you know, the Amazon web server, guys out there and Microsoft as well. Um, these guys, they spend a lot of money, they build these big centers, they have to cool them, which is expensive. Luckily, the electricity price has come off, that's been a, a help for them. And then to me, it just becomes a commodity. Data just becomes commoditized and it's very hard to charge a premium. How did you differentiate yourself at Next DC between the other one over the road? I don't know how you do that. Having said that, the stock price really has lagged the rest of the tech sector. And it was that tech market darling. When we had no afterpays, no um, zeros, because it was listed in, in New Zealand to some extent, Next DC led that charge. And then it's really sort of gone a bit sideways to some extent. I think its moment in the sun is coming again. Um, and I would put a buy on this. Although, as I say, never been a massive fan. But I think just price-wise, what are we here around... Um, 11, uh, 11.20 or something, 11.22. I think price-wise, this has got you know at least 10% potential upside, if not more, in the coming months as we run into uh, the August reporting season. So I, I like it on that basis, but I think at the end of the day, data centers become commoditized. Just they're just big. There's also the trend to some of those smaller, closer to the actual. Um, yeah you know, business yep. data centers as yep. well. And, and where they did do well is because they were domiciled in Australia. And if you're at Westpac or you're an Australian company or whatever company you are, and you are worried about where your data is, mm -hmm. do you want it going across a big pipe through Guam to the US? Or do you want to keep it in Australia? And that's where they kind of succeeded because it was Australian, they had Australian data centers. But then the big guys came over and, and they are coming mm -hmm. over and they build their own centers. And that takes away that unique selling point they have is that we are an Australian data center. Other guys, the big multinationals have got Australian data centers. Boy, you're very well. negative for a person who just put a pie, buy I'm, on the company. I'm, I'm, but I do know that it's about the share price. It's, it's about, about the price, not, not anything else. All right. That is uh, Next DC. And that was for Katrina. Thank you for writing in. This is uh, Boral on the list. And it's for Cameron. Cameron would like to know, presumably, don't have a lot of detail, whether or not you'd be buying Boral at this stage of the game. It's just completed that 50% sale of its, uh, completed the sale of the 50% share in USG Boral in the United States, part of its transformation program. It's going to be returning capital to shareholders. It should be a really good time for Boral. <laughs> it is. To be making money while the hay, yeah. you know, hay while the sun shines. But is that the point? that this potentially is as good as it gets in terms of the housing and the building cycle, considering we've got the prospect of rising interest rates, Henry, in the US in particular? Um, well, I mean, hopefully, you know, the idea is that Borrell's gonna get rid of that 
company transformational business that they bought in the US, the Flyash business, um, which the previous CEO staked his kind of future on, and he's no longer there. We've got a new CEO. Capital management is on the cards, on market buybacks. They've got a lot of cash. If they sell the US business for 1.82 billion, I think they paid an awful lot more for it. Um, then there is money there that the company can return, geared to the housing cycle, not only in Australia, but in the US as well. Probably um, slightly more expensive than James Hardy on a relative basis, but um, it's, it's got a new CEO, it's got money, it's doing deals, uh, and it's got good exposure to housing. But the share price is up close to 150% and over the And the share the price year. is telling you that. It was a dog. I mean, it was a real it dog. It was. It was a real dog. It was actually in my dog basket. I created a basket of six stocks. Don't start, Andrew. <laughs> um, but it was in my dog basket. Six <laughs> stocks, real dogs. Uh, and, so it's uh, out of the dog box. Uh, well, it's, it's been such a great performer. I mean, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's got some, some doggy chews and has been playing fetch and doing all sorts of things in the... In, it's dog life, but it, it's certainly a hold here. I'm not sure I'd be piling in at this elevated levels, but that cash management side of things, the on-market buyback is very supportive of the Borrell share price. I remember doing an on-market buyback for Borrell back in my Macquarie <laughs> days and I was running it. Um, it seems they're forever doing on-market buybacks. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a hold here. Great exposure to housing, uh, cheaper than James Hardy in some uh, PE basis. Mm -hmm and it's got all that capital return and an on-market share buyback. So a hold from Henry, but to my point, the share price has risen 150% over the past year. Do you see, Andrew, further upside? Do you think that HomeBuilder and all the rest of the good news is already baked into the price? Or what could the potential next catalyst be for Borel? So Henry sort of touched on one of it, which is if they do something with that US business and, you know, they suddenly have this sports bag full of cash where they could be sort of, you know, spreading it around. Um, but the on-market buyback, about 10% of the company they are intending to buy back over the next 12 months should support the share price, never mind the underlying investment thematics that we just spoke about. Uh, to me, it's also a hold as well. Um, I guess I look at the P of 25 times relative to the forecast earnings growth of only 13% makes me doubt saying that, but there is enough there to uh, sort of, as I said, that on-market buyback in particular should be supportive of the share price. Uh, US business continues to be impacted by COVID, albeit I note, uh, was it April 16th? Anyone over 16 in the US can now go and get the jab. So uh, they and I'll have 75% of their population vaccinated uh, in the next three months. So they certainly seem to be sort of closer to the end than the beginning. So that should be a positive for them. It's certainly not a buy at these levels. Uh, it is a hold. That brings us to the halfway mark in this uh, this program, this Wednesday program of the call. So let's begin with a bit of a summary of what we've learned so far. The stock of the day was fluent. It has signed some deals lately in China. Uh, Andrew says that it's one to watch, but it's not a buy right now. There's still plenty of uncertainty there. What's interesting is that it is in the infrastructure space, but it's also got some uh, you know, opportunities in, in the Ivory Coast. It's just not there yet in his view. 
Uh, Henry is looking at what's happened with Foslock and saying the problem with fluence for him is Foslock, oddly. Uh, but it's because of the, doing the business in China and just how opaque that can be at times. He says that it's a good first step that it's making these deals in China, but needs to see follow up. So again, watching it, but not a buy. That brings us to the companies that you've submitted, BHP Billiton. It's uh, an answer for Robert. It's a hold at these levels. So this is a company that uh, Henry believes everybody should have some exposure to the global commodity story in their portfolio. But uh, it's just, you know, the, the price really is why you wouldn't necessarily be adding to it at, into your portfolio at this time. Andrew agrees. He says it gets a hold at these levels. Um, the iron ore revenue is just absolutely massive, $30 billion worth a year. So if you did see any pressure coming through on the iron ore price, it would be damaging. He says potentially, and this might be a bit of a bonus coming from Andrew, look at some ETFs that will give you some exposure to that space. QRE and M for mother, VR is one of those. That brings us to 88 Energy. A question for Jim, 88E is the ticker code. It's a hot, it's a hotly <laughs> traded company. Uh, but with a rise of 700%, the amber light is flashing for Andrew. He says it has been a punter's dream and currently potentially a nightmare. Now, Henry is not oblivious to the fact that this could potentially be a trading stock. A lot of this has to do with uh, you know, uh, some sentiment psychology, but he called it rubbish. That's what I've written down. <laughs> All the rocket emojis in the world are not going to make him buy this one. Basically, he doesn't believe the hype. Darimple Bay Terminal, DBI is the ticker code for Liam. It's a no for Henry, but he says at $2.20 around there, it would be a buy for value. It's out of the doghouse. So watch that $2.20 level before you would get in. For now, though, it's a no. For now, it's a no for Andrew as well. It is a positive that it gets to negotiate it contracts individually going forward. Number four, next DC, it is a buy for Andrew. It's a part of a mega trend. He says that the share price pressure that's come through is likely to do with those rising bond yields, which of course has damaged the valuation of many in the tech space. Uh, and it's also a buy for Henry. So if it's not in the portfolio, it is going in. He doesn't love the overall narrative when it comes to next DC, but on price alone, it's a buy at these levels and he could see the price going up by about 10% in the coming months. That brings us to Boral, BLD is the ticker code. This is for Cameron, thanks for watching. Uh, look, both of these guys say that it's a hold at this time because the share buyback will be uh, helping to, uh, you know, at least hold the share price or push it higher in the next few months. But it's really all about the cash management program supporting the share price. So for Andrew, it's not a buy, just a hold based on that fact. Now, I have referenced the call portfolio of which we've got uh, NextDC going in if it's not already in there. And of course, this portfolio is thanks to our partner, NabTrade. All the companies that get a two thumbs up or a buy from both of our experts, we've been checking into that portfolio. Here's an update. We missed updating you yesterday. So over the week, up almost 3% on the month, up almost 6% in year to date. So this is since July 1st, 2020. The portfolio is up by 26.5% or roundabout there. So recently, just yesterday, we added AUB Group, we added Steadfast. Bell Financial Group has gone in recently, Pacific Smiles, and E-Road. Today, Next DC is going to be going in. 
You can take a look at that portfolio. All you have to do is go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Let's get to it, shall we? SG Fleet is the next one on the list. This one is for Bill. SGF is the ticker code. Andrew recently made an acquisition of Lease Plan Australia and New Zealand. It's now the biggest fleet innovated lease operator in, in, uh, in Australia, if that's all uh, you know, executed properly and the integration goes well. What is there to like or not to like about SGF? We floated this uh, when I worked for Macquarie, uh, similar to Henry. Um, yeah, everybody's name dropping Macquarie, Macquarie alumni here. All right, <laughs> on you go. Uh, yeah, so uh, I can't remember what price it was. I think it was around this sort of money. So another, and I'm actually just looking at the chart. It did run up to about $4.50 there and has sort of fallen into a little bit of a heap. As we can see in the chart there, the last 12 months, though, it hasn't been so bad. Um, this lease plan acquisition adds about 103,000 vehicles to their fleet. They already were running about 143,000 prior. So it certainly makes them, I think they're the largest, then the second largest from memory is Toyota. So they're certainly well in the game there. Uh, it also will help um, in the context of their cost of funding, uh, obviously some cost efficiencies, which will come through there as well. Uh, noting though that only two brokers follow it and consensus on it is around $3.28. Always a bit nervous when companies make acquisitions, um, in particular around when you've got that sort of cultural fit. My experience in being involved in these directly is that usually about one third of the staff leave in the next 18 months post the acquisition, whether that's planned or not, it's another thing. Uh, and so you've got sort of almost a fight internally as to whose policies and procedures, etc is going to be sort of playing out. So to me, I'd probably let this uh, bed down, but uh, interesting business and certainly coming at it from a place of strength, rising bond yields is potentially the other thing for them relating to sort of ongoing costs, but uh, it's a hold to do. It's a hold. So if you saw what, if you saw this integration go well, it could potentially be a buy or if the share price fell back, could you see some value? Yeah, I'm just looking at the chart at the moment, sort of around and channeling my inner round affiliate around that sort of $2 mark. Uh, it seems to be sort of uh, from a support point of view uh, or thereabouts. I mean, it's had a nice little run from about $1.50 recently up closer to $3, so around that sort of $2 to $2.20 uh, from a technical point of view. But I'd probably be waiting at least six months, seeing how the integration is going uh, before I'd be uh, wading into this one. Okay, Henry, what do you think about SG Fleet Group? Um, the market likes this one. Yep. I've got to say the market likes this one. I didn't realise that Supergroup owns 60% of SG Fleet, which explains why they're called SG Fleet. There you go. There you go. I just learned something new as well. There you go. Um, that's what we're here for. Um, it's, it's good. The deal's good. Lease plan is a good deal for them. It puts them on a kind of a, um, a partnership, effectively, with a really big global player. Um, so I think it's good. I think the market got has got a little bit excited, uh, maybe short term, the, the cash raising is at $2.45. And so I would suspect that we'll see that price, the stock price drift back to that, but it's certainly a good deal. The interesting thing for this deal, because it puts them on a whole different basis, they are now the market leader. What happens to Macmillan, Shakespeare and Eclipse? Because if you remember, these two guys were getting together and they terminated the deal some time ago but it does offer that opportunity i guess for maybe those two to have another look 
at that merger if you've got a very big dominant player emerging mm -hmm. it may be that we see the synergies and the scale required uh, by Macmillan and Eclipse to actually put themselves back together again so I think that's the interesting one at this kind of price for SG fleet I, I think it's probably just bounced a little bit too high for my liking and I wouldn't be surprised to see it back down towards 245 it's a hold it's a really good strategic move the market likes it but as Andrew says takeovers do tend to take time to bed down and there is egos and all other things to sort out, but it is a really good strategic move so for them. So if it fell down to around 245, which was where they raised yeah, the capital, I think I'd be more interesting. Okay, so yeah. 245. But the Macmillan and Eclipse are the is interesting. Is the more interesting one for you. Yeah, it could be, um, could be a tie-up. And there. there's been a long time that there's been talking that Eclipse would be taken over in some way, shape or form. There's, there's always been sort yeah. of lurking around and Macmillan, Shakespeare and, and Eclipse are the, to put them together to now challenge SG Fleet um, makes a lot of sense. All right, put that one on the radar. Let's get to Mervac for Matt. Hello, Matt. Uh, well, it's an interesting one because Mervac does have a history of under-promising, over-delivering. It reinstated its earnings guidance, uh, but that sort of implies that we'll see a bit of a decline in second half. How do you rate Mervac when you consider it? Well, it it's got so much to its business. It's, there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. A lot of moving parts. Residential property, commercial property. Retail. Retail. It's got a lot of moving parts. It's basically a massive property company. 4% uh, yield, no franking, of course, because it's distribution rather than a dividend. Um, it looks okay. I've got to say, it looks okay. You can't not... You can't knock a company that's got exposure to residential, commercial and other property in Australia at the moment. We've got a property market that's going absolutely uh, gangbusters and looks as if it's going to continue to do so after that RBA uh, talk yesterday. So um, certainly I think it's got potential. Again, I'm not screaming to buy it, but I don't really, you know, REITs are always a bit of a specialised subject really to some extent and they are affected by that 10-year bond rate mm -hmm. and interest rates generally. But I think it looks okay. It's probably a weak buy at these kind of levels for me if you have to go down the REIT track. Uh, I still prefer Goodman Group. I think that's still the quality in the sector. Um, but Mervac with that exposure to residential is um is interesting cue all the emails asking what a weak buy is um i i call something a smidge buy in a previous program and i got a number of emails at work what the hell is a smidge buy yeah. technical term it's in the glossary it's um yeah it's a weak buy you know it's not something if you, you want exposure you don't put your house reeks. on it you don't put your uh, house on excuse it. the pun now the puns yeah. are coming out yeah, but you see, yeah we're, okay. we're there already. let's find out if we can get a more decisive comment coming from andrew veitland from b dp wealth advisory in toowoomba mervac what's to like i mean it to henry's point it's in the property space we don't have a lot of migrants coming to the country right now which might uh, put a bit of pressure on some of those new builds i don't know how do you want look at it yeah, I, I don't mind it. I hadn't done a lot of work on Mervac for a while, and I'll explain why in a moment. But um, yeah, sort of looking under the hood, interesting business. Two thirds of their portfolio is office and industrial. And obviously industrial, you know, Henry just spoke about Goodman. We like Goodman here as well. And that whole industrial logistics space. So two thirds of the portfolio skewed towards that. 93% of their office tenants are paying their rent on time. So certainly the COVID effect seems to be backing off. Uh, one third exposure currently to Resi, but if you look at their pipeline going forward, they've got about $28 billion worth of work in the pipeline of which 16 billion of it is residential. So on face value, interesting looking business. Um, 
it's trading near consensus price. I guess to Henry's point though, REITs are somewhat of a specialist area and there's lots of moving parts to them, which is why uh, the second unsolicited mention of an ETF today, VAP, is probably one to think about there. Uh, Victor, Andrew, Peter. Peter. Um, thank you. I need to, know, <laughs> need to learn my, uh, my alphabet. Um, but it's got about $1.7 billion worth of REITs in there. And all the ones we just spoke about, you know, your Goodmans, your Mervax, your Dexas's, etc. So rather than trying to work out if Mervac's OK, and there's certainly nothing wrong with, with Mervac, I'd say it's a hold. Uh, maybe maybe it is a smidge buy, a tepid buy, but uh, for, for mind, uh, we've actually been using VAP as sort of our REIT tool of choice, and basically saying we want exposure to it. It's sort of hard, unless you have a high conviction that I want to be in Goodman or I want to be in Dexas or whatever the case may be, why not use VAP as your surgical instrument of choice? So that's why we've been going down that path. But yeah, I like Mervic, looks interesting, but is it compelling? Is it sort of bang the table? It's a strong buy. No. no. It's just going about unassumingly doing the business and doing yeah. it well. Yeah, and, and you know, the excitement was not palpable in either one of those answers. I do not, I'm making an executive decision. Smidgen buys, weak buys do not go in the portfolio. We must maintain rules around here. So let's find out if Centuria Capital CNI Group from Mike We'll do it for you. Is there any excitement for Centuria Capital up there in Toowoomba, Andrew? Yeah, so I should start off by saying they're currently doing a notes issue, Nadine, and mm -hmm. uh, my business is involved in that issue. So just please keep that in mind with the answer I'm about to give you. Disclosure? Um, I, disclosure, thank you very much. Keep the lawyers happy, that's what we're here for. Um, I, I don't mind Centuria, and I'm not saying that simply because of that notes thing we just referenced. Um, hadn't done a heap of work on Centuria prior to the notes issue coming online. We're actually managing about $10 billion worth of money. So it's about half of what Mervac is doing. Again, exposure to that office space, that industrial space, healthcare, which is really interesting as well. The, the one we're talking about here is the parent company. Mm -hmm. There's, they have two other listed companies, COF and CIP, which is their office and industrial funds. It's trading near consensus. It's returned about 28% per annum over the last five years relative to the market, which has returned 11. Um, gearing's pretty low. It's only around 21%, around 4.8 times interest cover. So from a financial point of view, it's going all right. Again, it's not uh, super compelling from a valuation point of view. Probably the key difference for me is that healthcare exposure. And I think certainly healthcare is an area going forward going to be a very interesting one. So I'm, I'm happy to say buy on this. Buy. Got that, Henry. Would you be buying Centuria Capital? It's got a 1.6 billion development pipeline. Most assets to be developed within the next three to five years. Earnings will come from those development fees as well. Uh, yes, I so, think it is a buy actually. Why? Um, I just these guys seem to be quite smart about what they do. It's again, it's complicated. It's got lots of moving parts as usual, but everything is heading in the right direction. It's a shame the share price is also heading in. The right direction uh, a little bit too uh, much because there's no bargains there but I think you know long term this thing looks as if it's on the right track they're certainly smart guys uh, they're in a smart place in the market and I think you know there obviously this note issue going on as well gives them a little bit more scope on the balance sheet so uh, for me it is a buy not a strong buy not a tepid buy just a buy it's a buy but it's that's a buy. what we're it's in the business buy. of got it okay let's move on to Marley Spoon 
I've never professed to be uh, you know, oh. the expert here, but when it was listing back in July of 2018, I remember having conversations in the newsroom saying, uh, food delivery packaged up, why are they listing? Who'd buy that? <laughs> Anyhow. And then the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic <laughs> hit, and then this massive megatrend to e-commerce, which I kind of knew about then and was yeah. a believer in. But you know, this has just been, I mean, the share price was up and eye-popping, 936 in the 12 months uh, you know that was last year yep. year to date though down by four percent so there's a yep. little bit of the shine coming off marley spoon i guess uh yes it's one of those winners from COVID, isn't it let's face it uh, to be able to get your food delivered every week with no wastage and all the other attractions of marley spoon i just always thought that it was fatty you know that it was a fad that something that Wait, people I would do for a few weeks a month and then you drop off yeah. but i guess has COVID changed that I think COVID has changed that, but maybe the, the, the reopening and the coming out of COVID will change it, flip-flop it back to some extent again. And that's, I guess, the danger with Marley Spoon is that it isn't sticky, that it is fatty, uh, that it does lose those members or people don't uh, resubscribe or take the, 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 you know, the weekly package of food that they did beforehand. I mean, I, I've tried it and it didn't really work for us at home. Um, and you'd have to think with rising food prices and we are seeing some inflation creeping in uh, that is going to have an effect on margin and i just think that people courtesy of gladys are happy to get out there with their 25 dollar vouchers mm -hmm. spend some money in restaurants and cafes and maybe um the the time to shine for marley spoon you know that big uplift that we've seen as, as people have embraced it it's a question now of seeing whether that embrace continues mm -hmm. and, and i think you know, it's been going sideways for a little while. It's had some peaks and troughs because it is one of those sort of tech sector stocks. But for me, it's probably not, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be touching it at these kind of levels, I must admit. No. I'd be quite happy to see how the next six months pans out with the vaccine, with us going back to more normalized habits and seeing which habits do stick and whether the Marley Spoon thing does stick. And there is lots of competition as well. It's not like it's the only one in the space mm -hmm. as well. So. Daniel has asked about Marley Spoon, Andrew MMM. Did you buy in at the listing? Have you bought it at any point? Would you be buying now? No, no, no. Um, but not saying no. Um, <laughs> interesting business. Uh, 25 million meals served last year. Uh, costs them around 40. They, they do all their numbers in euros. That's why I'm talking euros. I haven't become a, um, uh, a European on you, but... Uh, they basically uh, cost them 40 euro to get a subscriber. And if they can keep a subscriber for four months, they've basically covered their costs. Last year cost them 62 euro. So their cost of acquisition is coming right down. 50% uh, of their uh, clients stay for more than 12 months and they have 227,000 active subscribers. So it's actually, the business itself is actually humming along pretty well. Um, PE is 53 times, so it's certainly eye-watering. Forecast EPS growth, though, is 70%. And the consensus target on it is 385 relative to the current share price of 279. So that's all the, the fundamentals that look interesting. However, I would note that short interest, so in other words, people who think the share price is going to fall, has increased rapidly, uh, certainly over that last mm, six months or so. So okay. that really does concern me. So I'm with Henry. I'd like to see it come back a little bit, but the underlying thematic is strong. 
good ESG focus. I like it, just not at these levels. Great. Let's get to the last one on our list. I'm going to be starting with you, Mr. ETF Man, up there in Toowoomba. Uh, for Jake, he wants to know about the Venec Vectors Australian Bank's ETF MVB is the ticker code. Things have been pretty good for the bank so far. Are they as good as they can get, or do you need to be in an ETF to get that, you know, broad exposure? Um, I'm just wondering, do I need a cape and a mask? ETF man. Um, I I quite like this one. Um, And because we regularly, like every day, you know, CBA better than NAB, better than Westpac, better than Macquarie, whatever the case may be, MVB basically gets you to the point where it owns all four banks, roughly 20% each, a little bit, 1% to 2% either way, 15% of Macquarie, plus you've got a bit, a bit of BOQ and Bendigo in there as well. So you basically got exposure to the big banks and Henry runs his big bank basket every day. Um, you get exposure to that but tr- without trying to figure out which is what. Uh, they look after about 149 billion, uh, million, million, getting my millions and billions confused, million dollars, and they're only charging about 28 bips, 0.28% of them as a fee. Um, the actual, this is, and I know we're running short on time, Nadine, but it is an interesting point. The index they follow is not the broad S&P 200 gigs sector. It's actually a Van Eck banking index that they've actually created, and it's markedly outperforming that S&P index. So when you're looking at ETFs, you need to look at what the underlying index in which they're following. In this particular index, in this case, this index is doing pretty well. Uh, to me, it's a buy. I'm, I'm very happy to buy this. I think it's a, a great one for all the th- big picture reasons, increasing NIM, worlds coming back to normal, et cetera, et cetera. Are we finishing this hour with a uh, ETF addition to the portfolio? Why not? Why? Um, well, I think, well, I wrote a big article today about um, housing, and housing is going pretty bananas, as we all very much know. Um, and the banks have got to expose to this, but more importantly, I guess, the bank results are coming up as well in May. Early May, we see the, the big three, with the exception of Commonwealth, uh, deliver their results. They are pregnant with dividends. Mm-hmm. They've been on hold. Uh, they've also had uh, lots of logs stuffed with provisions. Now, they're not going to go out and crow and be massively generous because I think that would be uh, shooting themselves in the foot given the government can uh, start to go on the offensive against them. But they have um, sort of got out of the naughty corner with the government and I think they will continue to do so. Grind higher and the yield is going to be there. And this is a safe way to do it? This is a safe way to do it. I, you know, if, if you want to invest in bank, why not buy the bank that you bank with? If you wanted to buy one, you know, at least then you get your own back on the fees. Yeah. All right. Uh, That brings us to the sum up. Let's get through it. SG Fleet for Bill. Henry says the deal is good, but it's too XY at this point. It's a hold for him. He does, though, keep a close eye on Macmillan Shakespeare and Eclipse, which he sees some M&A potentially in that future. A more realistic price for SG Fleet would be around the 245 mark. It's a hold as well for Andrew. He would like to wait six months to see how this integration goes with this lease plan Australia acquisition. In his experience, there can be a few hiccups. Mervac, look, it just didn't excite either one of these guys. They've given us though an alternative. VAP is a REITs ETF that's coming from Andrew. And Henry is still saying that Goodman Group is the quality name in that property space. They say it's 
it's okay, nothing wrong with Mervac, but it's not exciting them. And I don't do tepid buys or weak buys or anything <laughs> of the like for the portfolio. Centuria Capital is going in. It's a buy from both of these guys. Look, Henry says it's just really well run. They're on the right track, all heading in the right direction. Andrew points out the notes issue that's on tap, which he's involved in. It's got healthcare exposure, and that potentially is what excites him the most about this one. But Centuria Capital is a buy, Mike. Marley Spoon. Andrew likes the broader thematic. Uh, it's on a P of 53 times. He's going to wait for six months, so it's just a bit expensive right now. He also likes the ESG component of the company. It's been a COVID winter. Yes, we all know that, but not sticky. And food inflation is coming. For those reasons, Henry is putting it as a no. He would not be buying this one. He, again, would wait six months. See how the vaccine rollout and the reopening impacts our uh, our love for Marley Spoon and everything deliverable in food land. And that brings us to Vanek Vectors Australian Bank ETF. MVB, the ticker code for that. It too is going in the portfolio. It's a buy from both of these guys. Dividends are in Henry's eyes and the housing market strength. And this gives you broad, safe exposure to the Australian banks. Andrew points out that it's also got low fees. He likes this one. I like the hour that's just gone by. Huge thank you to you, Andrew Veitland, DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba. Thank you so much, as always, for your expertise and the research that you've done. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nadine. And Henry, as always, thank you, my friend. <laughs> thank you, Henry. Pleasure. Nice to see you. Nice Thanks for coming you, in for Marcus today. That is the show for this day. Any companies you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet to us, TV. Stick around, we're back after this very short break. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.